So 1 John 1 verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Thank you, Anna. And um, yes, I just want to extend my happy new year uh, to you guys all as well. Um, not going to lie, it still has a bit of a 2020 feel about it. Um, so hopefully that changes over the next couple of months. And it starts to actually feel like a new year with some new beginnings and some, and some new fresh stuff. My name's Jacob, if we haven't met, I um, hope we get a chance to meet you later. And if you're joining us online, uh, it's great to have you with us. Um, and thank you for staying home if you're staying home because you've got the sniffles or you're a bit sick or you've been in the northern beaches or to one of the locations. Um, thanks for doing that and it's good to have you with us online as well. Before I get into it, just one other quick announcement. We've been talking about the weekend away uh, all through December. It's currently still going ahead. Um, fingers crossed uh, by March we'll, we'll be on top of things. Um, we had a great discount in December. I think we've had so far 50 adults, 20 kids take advantage of that, so it's all coming together. But if you missed out, I've decided I'll extend it through this week, partly because I don't want to work on the website this week. So the prices are still up there. If you go to the link, um, you can still claim the December discount. Um, uh, we'd love to get a few more people signed up. Or you can come and see me if you're in the, in the room, and we can um, get you lined up for that as well. So yeah, well, well done everyone for making it through uh, 2020. It was a bit of a rough one. Um, I preached this sermon last year, so the first Sunday of 2020, and I said some very generic comments I didn't make much of at the time about none of us can really know what the year's going to bring. But um, I think I even kind of, you know, we all got a little bit shocked by, by 2020. And yet God has got us through it as a church, and another year has passed. And, and once again, we find ourselves stepping really into an unknown sort of year. Um, and I reckon one of the things that's kind of changed for a lot of us in light of the year that's been passed is I reckon there's a lot less at the moment of kind of confident claims about what the year's going to bring. I think most of us have got a bit of a bigger dose of let's just see what happens uh, and a, a bit more willing to expect the unexpected. And so I wonder as you think about the year ahead, has, has there been any ways that your perspective about it has changed a little bit? Um, I wonder what's mattering to you as you think about the year that you're about to walk into. I reckon some of us might be feel, feel like we're going into 2021 a little bit in catch-up mode. Uh, maybe 2020's kind of knocked you behind in your travelling bucket list. Maybe it's held back your dating game. Or maybe you even had a position at work you'd been working up to for years and you lost that over the last year. And so you feel like you're on the back foot coming into the year. And this year you just want to kind of catch up, get back to where you're meant to be. Uh, maybe the year that's been passed has been a wake-up call to kind of something you, you really want but you didn't know you want. So maybe you're kind of feeling the kind of urge to go and have a country change or a sea change or get a bigger house in the suburbs and you've kind of decided this is going to be the year you're going to do something about that. Uh, maybe it's to have a better work-life balance after spending some more time at home. Or maybe the main thing you're bringing out of 2020 is just a deeper indent in your couch where you've managed to sit for 16 hours a day, you finish Netflix, up to your meals from three, three meals a day till six, 
uh, and you're just kind of wanting to get your life back on track. I don't know what it is for you. We're kicking off a new series today, like Anna said, that we're calling Resolve to Love, which really is just looking at the first letter that John, one of Jesus' followers, wrote the early church, in which he's reminding them about the basics of their faith. Uh, when this was written, it's a couple of years after, a couple of decades rather, after Jesus has, um, has done his life in ministry. And over that couple of decades, there's been some kind of people starting to say things in the church that contradict the teaching that Jesus laid down. So what John's trying to do in this letter is just go back to the absolute foundations of what, what Jesus was on about and what does it mean to be a follower of him. And that's why we're starting this year with it. We want to go into 2021 with whatever else is kind of going on in our, in our thoughts and our minds and our hopes about the year, really just anchored in the gospel, anchored in the reality of who Jesus is and what he did. Um, and in particular, this book, as we'll see all the way through it, kind of anchors, anchors the church in the call to love, being that how it is that we love God and love those around us really is almost really everything that there is to do with what it means to follow Jesus. So how, that's how he summed it up. And so I'm hoping this is going to be a really helpful perspective as we walk through this over the next few weeks. And this week in particular, my hope is that it's just going to give some perspective as you think about your year to be reminded that who you are is more important than what you do. That who you are is more important than what you own. That who you are is more important than what you achieve. That as much as God does care about some of those other things, God deeply cares about the person that you are. He cares about your heart. And so my encouragement would be, over the next 25 minutes or so, to just to reflect as much as you can on the state of your soul. I think it's, uh, that's a harder thing to do than it is to reflect on the state of your bank balance or on the state of your body or whatever else might be in your mind at the moment. But as we read these words of John, to be reminded that our hearts matter that our souls matter. So I'm just going to pray to that end before we look at the verses that Anna just read. Heavenly Father, we just ask that you would be speaking to us, knowing that some of us are coming out of a year that has really just smashed us down, has worn us out, has left us feeling maybe distant from you uh, and cold at heart. Um, some of us only got here, whether online or in the building, just by a thread. We just weren't even sure we were up for this today. And so we just ask that today that you would be, uh, be speaking to us. You'd be helping us see uh, what is going on inside of us and help us set ourselves up for this year in a way that's going to honour you and have you in our life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the verses that Anna just read start by kind of opening us up to this reality that we are existing in a moral universe that can be understood by using the metaphor of light and darkness. Verse 5, where this section starts, John writes, This is the message we heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. I think one of the most kind of powerful themes that kind of sums up lots of, like, I guess, fantasy literature is the idea that, that, that good and evil is, is as opposite and as set apart as light and darkness. So you get Star Wars, that's my favourite movie franchise before Disney came along. Star Wars used to be this thing that you kind of look forward to maybe every two years. Maybe they'd have a break for 10 years and then they'd bring something else up. Now it's every second day, so good on you, Disney. But, but in Star Wars, the, the big kind of uh, theme that, that rides through the whole thing is, is you've got the Force, this thing that runs through everything, and there's the light side and the dark side. You can use the dark side of the Force to get power and, and evil and, and build yourself up, or the light side of the Force 
It's about love, protecting those who are weak, that kind of thing. And so there's this kind of massive battle going on, even bigger than the individual characters you have in any single movie. In, uh, in Lord of the Rings, Sauron, the, the, the powerful... I don't know what he is. He lives in a tower. He's an eye. But he, uh, he, the, the, the baddie in Lord of the Rings, they call his dominion the land of the shadows. His kind of stooges are the dark riders. This idea where there is no light where Sauron is. In Harry Potter, Voldemort's other name is the Dark Lord. Um, you know, again and again and again, you see this theme. And I think these stories draw us in because we, I think, deep down kind of want want something big like that to kind of exist in. We want to see the, kind of, the world through that kind of lens. And what John is saying to us and what, what the, the Christian worldview says is that we do, in fact, inhabit a universe that has both good and evil. And these things are opposed to each other. And, and what John is saying is God is light. And I think sometimes it takes a bit of reminding to realize that there is actually real light in the world. It's a loaded image. Light is truthfulness, where darkness is error. Light is moral good, while darkness is evil. Light in, in the creation story of the Bible precedes life. It's the thing that kind of happens before anything good can ever exist, whereas darkness contains emptiness and chaos and death. Light in the New Testament, as Jesus talks about it, is what Jesus brings into the world to bring renewal and hope. And so light is the language of hope and life. And what John is saying is, you can sum up God by saying that God is light. He is totally pure. He is totally good. He is perfect. And in him there's no darkness. He doesn't have a dark side or a snappy side or a troubled side or, or an evil side, but he's pure light. And the nature of light is you can't have both light and darkness in the same place. But I think ironically going through life day to day, darkness is what's easier to see. And so to pin it down, I'd say that darkness is an atmosphere that denies the truth of God and forbids his light to enter. So anywhere where the presence of God is not, there is darkness. A couple of days ago, I, I googled uh, the worst year ever. Um, and the reason for that is because I remember just over the years past, I feel like 2018 was a year that a lot of people said was the worst year ever. Do people remember that, like on Facebook? Everyone was like, good riddance, 2018. I don't remember what happened in 2018. I can't think of anything that made 2018 that bad. But um, at the time, I remember reading an article where some historians and some scientists had got together to actually decide what was the worst year ever. And, um, and they came up with 536 AD. And what happened in 536 AD is pretty, pretty terrible. Uh, a volcano in Iceland erupted and covered the entire world in darkness for 18 months. Now, if you think about like this year, going in and out of lockdown since March, like that's been a bit hard to get through. But imagine 18 months of darkness. People writing at the time said that for 18 months, even in the middle of the day, the sun just looked like the moon. And so that, what, what a horrible existence. And because of that, when you've got a world where light is blocked out, um, everything stops working. So across Europe, across Asia, people recorded the coldest winters ever. There was snowing where it wasn't meant to. And so crops failed. There was a global famine. People just couldn't get enough food to grow, so just millions of people starved. Then the bubonic plague kind of came into that at the same time as well. And so just millions of, millions of people died across the world in complete darkness. Horrible, horrible time to live. Bit of perspective with, uh, with 2020. But the idea that, that when, when something as simple as the sun, which we take for granted, is, is blocked out, the whole world ceases to function. 
We need the light to get through. And to, to have the whole world clouded in darkness makes for the worst year ever, according to some historians. I think it's a sense in which we find ourselves in a world that is clouded by darkness, where, where the light of God, the goodness, the influence, the life-giving presence of God is obscured in this world. And you see that. You see that on a global scale. When you just look at, at the global injustices that are taking place at the moment and have taken place over the course of human history, you see just when people live as though God isn't there, dark and evil things happen. You can see it on a small scale, even in maybe your own family as you've just been over the kind of Christmas week. You may have found some of the goodness of, of that time of year clouded despite the realisation that even in your family maybe there's selfishness, there's bitterness, there is darkness. And you can see it in yourself. If, as you think about what you are like, what your heart is like, there is an extent to which there is darkness even there where, where God's light is obscured. And so the hope for ourselves, the hope for this world, is that the light of God would be able to break through. And that's the call of Jesus, which is to leave the darkness and come into the light. That is to start living a life illuminated by the presence of God. And what John says here is that's the mark of someone who's responding to the call of Jesus. If we read on the next couple of verses, 6 and 7, he says, If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So John is kind of pushing back at this idea that's kind of come up in the church he's writing to, which is, I think, also pretty common today, which is that you can be connected with God and not have it translate into changes in your life. Um, he's, what he's trying to get at is to say that to being in a relationship with God isn't something that only happens on a head level, nor is it something that only happens kind of on like a feeling and heart level. It's not just some inner enlightenment, but it's a walk. The way to, to sum up what it is to be a Christian or a follower of Jesus is to, to walk a certain way, how you actually live and navigate yourself through your life, the decisions that you make. And so as we find ourselves as we do, like navigating through life and having to make decisions to live a certain way each day, John's saying there's two paths. There's darkness there's walking in such a way that obscures the presence of God and his influence and his call over your life um, that doesn't allow him to change you, to bring goodness and life to bear in you and through you. Or there's walking the light, which is, in short, a changed life that is lived out in the presence of God. And he's saying only one of these two roads is congruent with being a follower of Jesus. To claim to have some private relationship with God, but in reality just to live out a life that he has no influence to bear whatsoever is, is just not living truthfully. They don't go together. Claiming to know God but continuing to walk in the dark looks like saying, look, I'm all good, but, but really I'm happy to keep going on living with the same ideals of the world, just self-governance, sexual impurity, greed, individualism, and accumulation. But the heart of this message is God cares about your life. He cares about how you're living. He cares about what you do. And he's not okay with a chunk of your life staying in the darkness. I remember when I was a pretty young kid, maybe nine or ten, I had a shoe box um, that I called the bad boy box, uh, which was just a, a shoe box filled with, with, with secret things. And so nothing too bad in there, but I had in there, I remember, I had a knife, a Zippo lighter, some Zippo lighter fluid, I had bungers, and some nails. 
Now, these were items as a nine-year-old that I had no real need for whatsoever, but I think I thought deep down it had come real handy in an apocalypse situation. Um, turns out I should have had toilet paper and rice. But um, I think I kept these things because it made me kind of feel tough, and I liked that I had a secret. I kept it under like the bottom drawer in my wardrobe where there was like a secret compartment. I loved this idea that I had something as a nine-year-old that my parents didn't know about. I had like my own agency, I had my own like possessions. They knew everything else I had because they bought it for me, but I had I'd obtained all these items, I don't even remember how, and I would have hated to lose them. I think as Christians, you can kind of live your life in such a way that you've kind of got this outward front. It's the front we're all, we've all got going on at the moment while we're at church. But we can have like this kind of private box of things that we kind of want to keep to ourselves, that we're going to say, look, I don't want God having impact over that part of me. Like, that's mine. It makes me feel safe. It makes me feel powerful. It makes me feel comfortable. I'm going to keep it over here and not really talk about it, not really have it out there. And that might be how we conduct ourselves in our relationships. That might be how we use the internet. That might be what we, how we make money or how we spend money. It might be our language. But this, this passage is saying that to walk in the light is to have all of our life laid open and exposed to God which doesn't mean living in perfection, it just means having the parts of you that aren't perfect, of which there are many, under God's influence and open to him so that he actually might change you. John says that when we walk in the light, we're purified. In the same way that kind of mold can live and, and kind of grow for months or years on end in the darkness, the moment you bring out like a moldy item into the sun, it just, it just can't survive, it's eradicated. John is saying that's what happens with our lives. When we bring ourselves into the light, open ourselves up to God, he changes us. And he plays out what this looks like in the next verse where I think he highlights another false idea because on one end of the spectrum you might have someone who says, you know, I know God and he's fine with me having this sinful stuff going on in my life. On the other end of the spectrum you might have someone claiming that they don't have a sin problem at all and that's what John addresses. He says in verse 8, if we claim to be without sin... We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim to have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. John says, real simple, every person's got a sin problem. Every person's got to confront this reality. We've all got parts of our hearts that are darkened, We all have things that we've done that we look back on with regret. We all have tendencies towards, even now, willfully screwing up our lives with giving in to desires of things that are bad for us. And if we deny that reality and claim to be without sin, we can't actually get the relief that we need. This passage speaks of actually getting a solution and some relief from the sin that we experience within us. And I think this passage, it ties that idea to confession, which I think is in parallel to, to bringing ourselves into the light of the previous verse. So what does it mean to be someone who walks in the light? Well, I think this verse would say it means to be someone who confesses our sin. To be someone who doesn't go on holding on in darkness because there is actually forgiveness that is on offer. Carrying on in the darkness is exhausting. I think at the absolute extreme end, you hear stories, I've heard stories of people that have had affairs or of criminals or even of sex offenders who, when they've been caught for doing what they're doing, they've been relieved. And you think, how can that be the case? How could you be relieved at being caught out as a sex offender? 
And I think the reason is because as much as being caught is shameful and humiliating, walking around with a weight of secret sin is soul-crushing. But the relief that this passage offers is better than the relief of being just caught out. It's the relief that comes of confession and forgiveness. There's this great psalm in the Old Testament, Psalm 32, that, that speaks of the, the experience of finally just having your sin forgiven and washed away. I'm going to read it for you because it's just so good. In Psalm 32, it says, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. I just love that line in there where it, where it says that when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. This idea that that carrying the burden of your own sinfulness and brokenness on your own is exhausting. It's like there is just a weight on you, like your bones are being crushed. But in, in coming to God and confessing, there is, there is peace. There is forgiveness. That's what John's saying. He's saying, bring your life into the light. Open yourself up to what you are like to God. Let him in and you will find peace there. There is peace in Jesus. So in the light of this, I just want to think very briefly, about what does this mean for us as we find ourselves in this weird juncture between two years? And what does this mean for us as we, as we kind of look back and look forward? And so firstly, looking back, I don't know, maybe some of you guys are coming into this year needing, desperately needing a fresh slate. Maybe 2020 was a year of spiritual darkness where you moved away from God um, or you fostered sin in secret or you just lived as though he wasn't there. And you just feel like, I just want to start again. The good news of the gospel is that you can start again. That, that's, what, that's what Jesus is all about. You can start again. The blood of Jesus cleanses us. And so I'd encourage you to maybe at some point reflect on the year that you just had and bring it to God and confess. I did this the other day. Um, I spent just an hour kind of just writing out a, a bunch of stuff about my year. But, but part of that was just what I've been thinking, what I've been feeling over the last year, some of which just did not have God in the picture at all. And to say to God, this is what I'm thinking, this is what I'm feeling, this is what I've been like, can you forgive me and can you change me? I found it to be a really, really healthy and, and helpful thing to be doing. Um, I did that on New Year's Day. So I'd encourage you over this week just to, to have some time just to bring yourself to God, to say what is going on in your heart. Uh, maybe to confess to someone else around you as well, just to share and, and invite people into what's going on in your mind, in your heart, in your life as well. Because God's heart is to forgive. That's, God loves to forgive. He doesn't hold our sin against us. He doesn't hold our brokenness against us. He wants to forgive us. So don't miss this opportunity to, to enter this year with a real knowledge that, that your past is in the past and that God loves you and he's forgiven you. And then looking forward... Thinking through resolutions, um, as we've kind of thought about resolutions in this series, I don't think anyone's coming to 2021 feeling like we just need a bunch of to-dos, a bunch of kind of just niggling pressures in our life. So just in really broad terms, I want to encourage you to this year to resolve to love the light, to resolve just to just bring your life under the freedom and peace that is having God involved in your life. 
God is light. And so to go into this year illuminated by him, that is to have him above and influencing your decisions, your hopes, and your plans, is going to be so much better than going into this year feeling like on your own you've got to figure it all out and you've got to do it your way. To be obscured by darkness. God has a will for us all this year. That's on our own. He's also got a will for us as a church. And we need to be inviting him in. We need to be actually reflecting in our life, not the way that someone who doesn't know this good, mighty God of light does, but we've got to reflect in our lives in the way that someone who knows that God is there, he is real, and he cares about us. So I think likewise, I'd encourage you to invite God in. And so both of these kind of applications, the confession and the, and the bringing God into the year ahead, it just involves spending time with God. You can't kind of shortcut this. So I just encourage you, if you haven't already, around, around this kind of week of the year, it's a bit of a unique opportunity. The world's still a bit quiet out there. Places are closed. You can't really go and do many things. So to sit down with God, confess the year past, and invite him in. To say, God, what do you want from me this year? What do you want to do in me? Is there some part of my life that I've been holding on to that you just want to take over? That you want to kind of just do something with? Do you want to finally change? To walk in the light because it's life-giving. I'm going to pray now that we can do this as a church. I encourage you to take that time. It's a real simple thing to do. But to just be praying that God would be building us up as a church. We've had a, a rough year as a church, uh, as a collection of individuals and as a church. And just to be asking that God would be involved and, and be, be breathing life into us. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for your word in 1 John. Uh, just this simple reminder that you're a God of light, that you invite us out of the darkness into light, and in, in that light you promise us forgiveness for our sins. We just pray that we be a people that live our life under your rule, who, who don't keep off to the side uh, things that we just want to keep in darkness and do for ourselves. Be transforming us, be breathing life into us, and give us the peace of knowing that our sins are forgiven, because you are a forgiving God who has purified us by the blood of Jesus. There's nothing else that we can do. There is nothing else that we can change in ourselves to wash away our sin. But the blood of Jesus is there. It purifies and it cleans. So we pray that we would be people who live lives washed clean by the blood of Jesus. Praise in Jesus' name.